You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are wrapping up our Harvest series today. I get the privilege of doing that. And the purpose of this series, what we, what we did is, uh, I, I believe that the, as we look at what's going on in the text, and all of the times that Harvest is brought up in the text, and then also the fact that we live in an area where we have farmers who are neck deep in harvest right now, we thought this is, a, this is a great time for us to talk about this concept, to dig into the text and find out, you know, what does it say about the harvest? What things can we learn about what farmers do every year, and what does that look like in our own lives? And today we're going to talk about the, the very end of the process that the farmer has to do out there, the harvest itself. But before we do, let me just bring you guys back up to speed on where we've been so far, if you haven't been able to be here for the last couple of weeks. So the first thing that we talked about, that Mitch got up here and talked about, one of our community pastors, is he talked about the soil. And the soil is a very important piece of this puzzle. And not only that, it is one of the only aspects of harvest that the farmer, that we have direct control over, And that will affect how the harvest comes out. You know, the farmer has to go out there. He has to prepare the soil by breaking it up and and mulching all the different nutrients in there. He has to go out there and remove all the rocks. He's got to make a great place, a great environment for the seeds that he will plant later to be able to take root and grow. And Mitch talked about how that is very much like our lives, the soil is. Like we have to do the work in our own lives to break up the hardness of our hearts, to remove the rocks of sin that are popping up throughout our lives as we grow in our faith so that we have ample, perfect soil for Jesus, the seeds to be uh, planted in. And then last week, Carrie got up here and she shared about planting the seeds. And one of the things that she really focused on and, and challenged us with is that we need to be careful about the kind of seeds that we are planting. We can't just be grabbing just any old seeds. We're not going out and throwing Canadian thistle seeds into our harvest fields, right? She said we have to make sure that we are planting kingdom seeds. Seeds like love and kindness and peace and forgiveness And it is so important for us to be intentional about planting those seeds because I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of people who are trying to plant other things in my life. There is media out there. There are people out there that are trying to throw their thorns into my life. And so I have to be very careful about what seeds get planted in my soil. And I have to be sure that those are kingdom seeds, seeds from God and not from the world. And so that's where we are so far. We have prepped the soil. It's ready to go. We have planted the seeds. And now it's time to wait. Sherry talked about this this morning in our volunteer huddle. Like, you do all this work. You get the soil ready and you plant the seed. And then it's just, you wait to see if anything will happen, if anything will come up. But when it finally does, when it finally starts to germinate and take root and grow, After it matures, it's time for the harvest. It's time to go out and gather the fruit of our labor. 
It's time to enjoy that blessing that God has grown. Now, I am somewhat of a city boy, but not really. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Montana, so for, for me, harvest is a little bit of a foreign concept. And these, these awesome videos that we've been able to watch the last three weeks, the interview with Mark Sawyer, I've learned more about harvesting from those six minutes than I have had before in my entire life. You know, before that, my only experience and familiarity with farming and harvest had to do with the time I spent in middle school and high school going out moving irrigation pipe and collecting hay bales for the local farmers in my small town. And as I thought about, like, what, can I t- what story do I have from my own life that I can tell about harvest? And I don't have any. Like, all the stories I have from, my, from that time are stories I can't tell here with, from my friend and I, the dumb things that we did out in those fields. But I do know a story that I want to take us to today, a story that I think reflects a principle of harvest that is super important for us, something that we need to take with us, not just today, but every day. So there is a small book, a small four-chapter book near the very beginning of your Bible called the Book of Ruth. Some of you know the story of Ruth, very familiar with it. Some of you may not. But I want to take some time today to just tell that story for you guys, just a part of her story. Because I believe that from that, like I said, we are going to draw a principle about harvest that we can apply in our lives today. So if you don't know much about Ruth's story, Ruth lived in a time that during Israel's historical period that was known as the time of the judges. Um, so this, this time period is when Israel had no king. They had no centralized government. They were supposed to be living as if God were their king. That's what they were supposed to do. It was after they'd come into the promised land. But this was not a time period that was known for them living as God was their king. Instead, it was a time period where they were known for doing what was right in their own eyes. And doing what was right in their own eyes kept putting them into trouble. And so God would raise up judges from among them that would go out and rescue them from that tr- those troubling circumstances. You can go to the book of Judges. It's right before Ruth and read about people like Deborah and Gideon and Samson. But that's the time period that Ruth's story takes place. And so sometime during that, there's a famine that hits the land. And there's a man who lives in Bethlehem. His name is Elimelech. And he looks out and he he sees the famine that is affecting his land. And he says, I got to get out of here. I'm going to take my wife, Naomi, and my two sons. And we're going to go east. You see, as, as you sit in the city or the town of Bethlehem, if you look to the east, as you can see on this map here, there is a region just on the other side of the Dead Sea known as Moab. And you can see it. I've stood on those hills over there, and you can see the region on the other side. He would have been able to see, man, maybe they're not in a famine. That's a good place to go. I'm going to abandon the place that God had called me to be and go over to this region of Moab. Which is interesting because also the Moabites and the Israelites historically do not get along. But this is where he chooses to take his family because you know what? 
They're doing what's right in their own eyes. So they get over to Moab. And while they're there, they find some wives for their sons. One of those wives is Ruth. During the time that they're there, it was over 10 years, Elimelech dies. And then years later, both of the sons die, but none of the daughters have kids. And so all three of these women are sitting here in this land as widows, which is a very precarious place to be as a woman in ancient times. Like if you're a woman in ancient times and you didn't have a husband or a son, that meant you didn't really have a way to provide for yourself. You didn't have a way to be protected in that time period. You really only had maybe like four different options. If you're young enough and you can find a husband, then you would do that because you needed somebody to care for you. You needed somebody to watch over you. But if you weren't young enough and you couldn't have any more kids, then your options were pretty limited. You could either choose to sell yourself into slavery. You could become a prostitute. Or you could just choose to die. Not a lot of options out there. And after they die, Naomi goes to her daughter-in-laws and says, look, you guys are young enough that you can find husbands. Stay here in your land and find a husband so that you can have a life. I'm just going to go back over to Bethlehem and we'll see what happens. And one of the daughters is like, okay, I'll do that. And she takes off. But not Ruth. Ruth looks at Naomi and says, no, I will never leave your side. I'm going to go with you and your people will be my people. Your God will be my God and I will worship him as my own. And they argue back and forth and finally Naomi's like, okay, whatever, just come with me. And so they start trekking back over to Bethlehem. Now as they roll back into town, it just happens to be the springtime and the barley harvest is just starting. But these two ladies are going into town. They've got nothing. Their husbands are dead. They have family there, but they've been gone a long time. And one day Ruth goes to Naomi and says, will you please let me go out to the fields and see if I can find somebody who will let me go behind their harvesters and glean up the leftovers to collect the things that were dropped by the harvesters. And she says, okay, may, may God shine upon you and you find somebody. And so Naomi goes out into the fields that are outside of town, outside of the relative safety of being in town, and she starts to look for a place for her to be able to glean the leftovers. And she finds a field and goes and talks to the lead harvester, the overseer out there, and asks if, he, if she can go behind their harvesters and women and just be able to pick up just a little bit. He gives her permission, and so he, she starts. Well, this field just happens to be owned by a, name by, being owned by a man named Boaz. And coincidentally, Boaz is a family member Naomi's husband's family member. 
And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on later in the book of Ruth that if you haven't read it, it is awesome. You should jump into there. But Boaz eventually comes out to the field to check and see how things are going. And he sees Ruth out there working in the field and he goes over to his lead guy. He's like, hey, who's this chick over here? He's like, oh, that's, that's the Moabite that came back with Naomi. You know, she's been out here all day long. She's only taking like one break to grab a drink of water, but she is working hard. And I think Boaz was impressed by that. And so he goes over to Naomi and he says, look, I want you to stay in my fields. You stay here and work in our fields. You glean behind our harvesters, our women, because then I'll know you'll be safe. You'll be safe and you'll be protected here. Do not go anywhere else. And Naomi's surprised. She's like, why are you showing me such favor? I don't understand. And Boaz looks at her and says, I've heard about you. Not only how you've worked in this field today, but I've heard about how you left your home and your family back in Moab just so that you could be with your mother-in-law, Naomi, and so that you could care for her. I know you. And because of that, you are free to be here. And Naomi is just humbled by it. Later that same day after dinner, Boaz goes to his workers and says, hey, don't mess with her, all right? She is free to be here. She can have whatever she needs. In fact, what I want you guys to do is those bundles that you're collecting, I want you to pull a couple of those sheaves out from time to time and leave those behind for her as well. And Naomi, at the end of the day, takes all the things that she had collected, goes to the threshing floor, separates it, and she takes home almost 30 pounds of harvest to Naomi from just collecting all of the leftovers. Why, why do you think Boaz treated her this way? Why did he give her this kind of favor? I mean, I've read else, you know, in the Bible in places where it talks about how the Moabite women were very beautiful. Maybe that was it. But I don't know. I don't think so. Perhaps it was because of his, the reputation that she had, that he had heard about, what he saw, how she worked, and how she was caring for her, her mother-in-law. That could be some of it. But I think the biggest motivating factor for why Boaz allowed Ruth to come into his field was because of his faithfulness to God. You see, when Israel was rescued by God from Egypt after being enslaved for 400 years, he brought them to the Mount Sinai, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And while they were there, God gave them instructions Instructions on how to worship him and instructions on how to live. How to be a blessing to people in the land that he was going to be giving them. To show the world that he was a different God than any God that anybody had ever seen before. And in those instructions, we find this. Come over with me to Leviticus chapter 19. 
In Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, here's what God says. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Before the people of Israel even have a single field to harvest, God is laying out the foundation of what it looks like for them. Leave the corners of your field. Do not go over it a second time. He's laying that foundation so that they understand that now, it's not only a blessing for them to be able to harvest what God has given them, but it's supposed to be a blessing for others as well. And it's supposed to be a blessing for anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their station in life is. You need to leave some of the blessing that God has given you for others. And that is exactly what I think we saw in Boaz. He was a man who eagerly shared the blessings that God had given him with his harvest, with anybody who needed it, with Ruth and her family. And it's this principle that I think of, of harvest, of the, that it is a blessing from God, a blessing that is not just meant for us, but a blessing that is meant for us to be sharing with others in our lives that I think we need to walk away with today. It's also, a bless, it's also a principle I think that we see Jesus implement in his own life. Come over to Matthew chapter 9 with me. In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, this is what it says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I grew up in the church. And in the church environment that I grew up in, I've heard this verse quoted, I can't even tell you how many times. The harvest is is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I can remember hearing conversations from adults and, and eventually having conversations myself that were about like, you know, man, there are just so many lost people in the world. So many people need Jesus. But there's just not enough of us Jesus people to get out there. And bring them into the kingdom. And some would always be like, well, you know, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've got to pray for more people to get saved so that we can bring in all this harvest. Now, while I agree with this sentiment that, yes, indeed, there are lots of lost people and we have to do the work to try to invite them into the kingdom, I don't know if that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. I don't know if harvesting souls is what he's referencing. 
You know, we, we talk a lot. You will hear, if you're just new to, new to us, you will hear us a lot talk about the importance of context. Context, if we don't go into the context of what the Bible is saying and trying to communicate, then we can lose its meaning. We can miss out on stuff. I mean, it's the same for you and I. Like, none of us like to be taken out of context. We don't want to have the things that we say or the things that we do be taken out of context, right? And so it's important for us to look at the context of what is happening. And so I want to go into this, and I just want to briefly talk about what is happening around this verse. We don't even have to go into the cultural context or the historical context of things happening. I just want to look in chapter 9 and see what's going on and see what, what is it that Jesus might be talking about when he's talking about harvest. And I flip over to the beginning of chapter 9 and I see a couple of cool things starting. Jesus heals a paralyzed man and forgives him of his sin. That's pretty cool. And then from there he goes and he sees a tax collector named Matthew, the guy who actually writes this gospel. And he says, hey, I have a purpose for you. Come, follow me. And then we see him having a conversation with John the Baptist's disciples. And in that conversation, he tells them, I'm doing something different. I know you expect this thing, but I am doing this, and it's different than what you expected. And as he was having that conversation, then somebody comes up and says, my daughter has died. And so Jesus heads out to this house to raise this girl from the dead And on his way, a woman touches his cloak and she is healed of a disease that she had for 12 years. And then he raises the little girl from the dead. And then we see him going out from there and running into two blind men and restoring their sight. And then finally we see Jesus interacting with a demon-possessed man. And he casts out that demon. And when he does, that man is given his speech back. Like Jesus is going all over the place, town to town. And he's not telling people that they need to go to heaven. Right? He's saying the kingdom is here and now. You can experience the kingdom here and now. The blessings of the kingdom are here and now. Let me give you new life. Experience new life now. Experience healing from things that have afflicted you for years now. Experience new sight so that you can see what God is doing in this world. Invite others into that. Be free from the evil of this world and be given a voice so that you can tell others of the kingdom of God that is here and now and the blessings that are awaiting them. So I think when Jesus is talking about the harvest being plentiful, I think he's talking about the blessings that God is raising up in our lives. The things that 
God wants to do in the lives of others. He wants those things to, to continue to grow up in us, and he wants us to invite other people into the field. Like Boaz invited Ruth, invite other people into the field so that they can experience those blessings as well. And if you continue to look, even in chapter 10, chapter 10 is where Jesus sends out his disciples and he tells them, I want you to do the same thing that you've been seeing me do. The healing of people, the raising of the dead, the casting out of demons. I've planted those seeds in your heart and your life. You've seen them come to fruition in my life. Now they've grown up and you are ready to reap the harvest of that. Go out and do the same. Reap the harvest of the blessings that have grown in your life and share them with others. That's what I think this is for us, guys. What the harvest is. That it is a time of celebration of God's blessings in our lives. To celebrate the things that we've planted that have grown up in their time, it's time to take it in. But it is not just for us. It's for those around us. And it's our time to now share in that. To share that blessing. And there are a lot of ways that this can look in your life. You know, one of the ways that I think of that it's showed up in my own life, the way the, a crop that I've seen grow up is with regards to, my, uh, with, with regards to generosity. Like my dad, my dad is a first-generation Christian. And my mom grew up in the Catholic Church, and so there was a lot of things that my dad needed to learn about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God was about, what the kingdom of God, people who lived in the kingdom of God should live like. And as he learned those things, and as those things took root in his own life and they grew within him, we got to see that change in his life, and he tried to plant those seeds in ours as well, in my family, me and my brothers. And I remember one of the first seeds that he tried to plant in my life with regards to generosity was tithing. Now, as a 10-year-old boy who just spent two hours mowing an old lady's lawn, like, $10 was a lot of money. And the idea, the thought of giving a dollar of it back to God, I hated that idea. Like, that was an entire pack of basketball cards. What, like, what am I supposed to do? But it takes time for the seeds to germinate and take root and grow in our lives. And it took time for me to allow that to grow up in my life. And then when it was ready and I harvested, I learned about obedience. Obedience to God because I love him. I learned about being joyful and content and what I have and what he has provided for me. And I've tried, as I've got my own two kids, to do the same for them, to cast the same seed of generosity in their lives, to look out and see the things that God has given them and given us and just be thankful that he has blessed us, but not to hold on to that stuff, but to share the blessing with others. And now that they're mostly adults out on their own, 
I'm getting to see those seeds finally coming to fruition. I'm seeing that they have letting that crop grow up in their lives and they are reaping that themselves and spreading the love and the blessing of generosity to others. But this is only a small part of the blessings that I've had in my own life. The crop that God has grown in inside me from the seeds that I have planted and the seeds that other people have planted. The blessings that I've experienced from other people's harvest. There's a lot out there. The harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of things that God wants to do in your life, but he doesn't want it to stay with you. He wants you to spread that same stuff to others, the same blessings, because that is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God has a harvest of things like joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and self-control. The kingdom of God has a harvest like freedom from sin and guilt, forgiveness and restored relationships. Those are the things that Jesus reaped in his own life and he has passed the blessing on to us and now it's our turn. It's our turn to go. To go out into the world that God has given us, the, the circles that we are in, and share that harvest with others. To invite other people into the field with us. The field is big, folks. God's harvest is plentiful. God's harvest never has a down year. It may feel like a down year in your life, but that's why there's more of us out in the field, other people beside us to help us out. Other people's blessings that they can pass on to us in those moments when we are not doing the greatest, when we feel like harvest is not great. But it always is. It's always a bountiful, beautiful harvest because it's God's. So go and invite others into this field of harvest because it's not ours, it's God's. And it's always, always ready to go. We're going to go to our time of communion together. Now, if you're new with us today, or it's been a while and you don't remember, this is something that we get to do every week. It's something that we believe that everybody has a seat at the table to do, that you don't have to be a regular attender or a member here at Real Life. You just have to be a a citizen of the kingdom. There's a seat at the table for you. If you didn't grab one of these on your way in, we got guys in in the aisle that we can bring one for you. Today, as we are just thinking about communion and as just kind of wrapping up this idea of harvest, of the things that are growing in our lives and the work that we still have a part in this harvest, we still need to make the soil ready. We need to take the things out of our lives that we need to. We need to make sure we are planting kingdom seeds and as God grows those things in our lives, we've got to make sure that we are sharing that stuff. We are not holding it back. 
because there's enough to go around. There's enough love, there's enough forgiveness, there's enough kindness to go around. And Jesus showed that to us throughout his life. And especially that night as he was meeting with his guys and having that last dinner with them and looking at them and knowing that this was, they were going to think that this was the last time they were ever going to see him in a few hours. He said, there is, there is so much more to come, guys. And there's so much more to come for us. So as he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember. After the meal, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for uh, another beautiful day in your creation. Lord, I thank you that you are always working. Lord, even when we don't see it, you are always working. You are always growing things in us. Father, I just pray that, um, Lord, as we leave here today, as we go about our, our regular schedules this week, or work, or school, Lord, that we will be looking for ways to invite people into your field, into your harvest, to experience the blessings that you have brought into our life, Lord. Lord, let us have an attitude and approach to it as Boaz, that it is not ours, but it is yours, and we invite anyone and everyone. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.